BetMGM has an unreal deal for sports fans in Maryland. Turn $5 into $150 instantly when you place your first wager at BetMGM. Simply download the BetMGM app and sign up using code OLDLINE150. Then, place a $5 wager on any sport. You'll receive $150 in bonus bets, regardless of your wager's outcome. And if you think the fun stops there, the king of sportsbooks has plenty of surprises in store. Check out daily promotions, same game parlays, live bets, and so much more. Download the app in Maryland today and get $150 in bonus bets instantly from your first wager only at BetMGM. BetMGM and GameSense remind you to play responsibly. See BetMGM.com for terms. 21 plus only. Maryland only. New customer offer subject to eligibility requirements. Rewards are non-withdrawable bonus bets that expire in seven days from issuance. Please play responsibly. For help, visit mdgamblinghelp.org or call 1-800-GAMBLER in partnership with MGM National Harbor. Promotional not available in Washington, D.C. Say goodbye to your credit card rewards. Greedy corporate mega stores, led by Walmart and Target are pushing for a law in Congress to take away your hard-earned cash back and travel points to line their pockets. The Durbin Marshall credit card bill would enact harmful credit card routing mandates that would end credit card rewards as we know it. If you love your credit card rewards, tell your lawmakers, hands off my rewards. Tell them to oppose the Durbin Marshall credit card bill. Let's break him, put him off! Run right to the back of him! Run right to the middle and out the back! What's known in football terms as a slam dunk. Hey, what's up? This is Daytime Fireworks. I am your host, Zach Barry, coming to you this Tuesday morning with Mr. David Brandt of the Associated Press. David, how are we doing? Doing well. Good to hear from you again. Quarter of the way through the season. Um, Technically, I guess you could say with the regular season slate, some will play in the postseason, obviously. Uh, I think one team that we can uh, go ahead and possibly close the book on getting past 12 games as Georgia Tech as um oof, it was uh, not pretty on Saturday Ole Miss now up to uh I believe 16 in some polls um still think they're in the 20s in the AP poll nope 16 in the AP 13 in the coaches I had it backwards um Ole Miss made quick work of the Yellow Jackets on the road 42 nothing it was just immensely dominant we're not going to go into quite a we're not even going to delve into the minutiae of the actual matchup we'll talk about what happened in that game but um three games through the season Ole Miss has given up 13 points um outside of the Troy game which Troy looks to be decent I, I was about I, I to mean, say that that score doesn't look so bad anymore after the Appalachian State uh, oh my gosh and just Good yeah, I, I, yeah, I think I think Troy's pretty good. I think so too. I, no shame John, in that. Yeah, John Summerall is going to get that thing turned around. I mean, relatively speaking to Troy's standards, um, but he's a, he's a good coach, and they're pretty spunky. But Ole Miss three and zero, like I said, blowing people out, playing really well defensively. I, I think the front seven has been a pleasant surprise so far for most. I, I think most people expected the secondary to be the. Uh, the bell cow of that side of the football with the mix of young talent and then returning starters and experience on the back end. But now with the caveat that it it was Georgia tech and they are not a very good football team, but they were just downright dominant. And look at this point, they're beating teams that they're supposed to beat the way they're supposed to beat them. Yeah, that's what I, I mean. I'm looking at their first three games and they've done exactly what they're supposed to do. It's what a good team does. Um, you know, Troy, Central Arkansas, and Georgia Tech is never going to be confused with a murderer's row of college football, especially in 2022. But, um, you know, I, I think the things that you like about them, the defense you talked about, and the, the fact that the running game is so powerful and so diverse, like th- those things will travel too down the road when they go on the road and stuff like that. I mean, I, I think that 
you know, and, and, and I, Jackson Dart has been fine. You know, the passing game's a little bit of a work in progress, but again, it's, it's, I don't think they're one dimensional. They're just doing what they need to do right now. So, you know, I, I, they don't really have a litmus test against a good team. That's probably coming up against Kentucky here in a few weeks, but like you said, they're, they're beating teams that they should beat by a lot exactly how they're supposed to do it. So I think at this point through three games, if I were an Ole Miss fan, that, I mean, it's just, it's gone about as good as it could have gone. You mentioned Jackson Dart was the starter played well into the game when it, until it was very much in hand. And then they brought in Kincaid Dent, but interesting Luke Altmaier came in for one snap and that was because Jackson Dart's helmet came off on a uh, scramble immediately came back into the game after that one play. I'm still not 100% convinced that Luke Altmaier is 100% healthy. Banged up that shoulder against Central Arkansas. He was dressed out, um, but he didn't throw a pass. The one play he was in, he just handed it off. Um, Lane Kiffin's going to play coy. He's going to keep things close to the vest before conference season starts. But I think most people see it now and know that Jackson Dart is the guy. You mentioned that he's he hasn't been asked to do too much. You know, the passing game has been pretty vanilla, pretty straightforward, and they've just run the football all over everyone. So they haven't really needed to. Do you think that they're going to continue to be very conservative with the play calling this week against Tulsa and then wait to really start opening things up and showing against Kentucky? Or do you think it kind of maybe bodes well for this offense and Jackson Dart in particular with the receivers to maybe a couple more pages of the playbook this week against Tulsa to get him a little more, a little more acclimated to game speed and to get in rhythm. Yeah. I think if, if you're Lane Kiffin right now, I think you understand just like any college coach would that, you know, teams are looking at you and starting to game plan for you. And I would think if I, I, I am going to make them throw the ball. I think at some point there's going to be a team this year that makes them throw the ball, that loads the box, you know, slows down that running game and dares you to beat them downfield. And so that's going to happen at some point. I'm not saying that's going to happen against Tulsa or even against Kentucky, but I know if, if you're Lane Kiffin, you've got that in the back of your head and you want to know you can do it. You know what I mean? If needed. And so it wouldn't surprise me if, if Lane Kiffin wants to establish through the air a little bit, like you said, open up the playbook. Cause you know, you don't necessarily want the first time that you run a lot of these plays or the first time you're really asked to do that against a really good team. And I'm not like throwing shade at Tulsa or anything, but you know, when you get into conference play and you're being asked to do things you've never done before, that's, that's not an ideal situation. So yes, I, I think if you're Lane Kiffin, you, that's at least in the back of your head, you're thinking about it. Speaking of getting acclimated, I heard an interview with, with Tom Luganville. He was on the uh, Out of Bounds show with, with Bo Bounds, and he, he made an interesting point. Now, I think he's, I think he's on, on track here with what he's saying with Kiffin's approach to the run game. And he was saying that he believes that Kiffin and Charlie Weiss Jr. and uh, Jake Thornton, the offensive line coach, he thinks that, that Kiffin is sending a message and trying to get – his O-line and his run game acclimated because you're going to have to be able to run the football deep into October, November, if you want to get where you want to be. And he was saying that the approach of, you know, not just because it's working and because you have three really talented running backs, but just, Hey, we, we got to get everybody up to speed and we got to get this thing to where, you know, by the time we play Kentucky and the Alabamas, the Auburns, the LSUs, the A&Ms, it's just got to be second nature where we're just, we're chewing up, you know, as Zach Evans, I think Markwell Blackwell, the running backs coach uses the term chewing up grass where, Hey, we, we got to be able to get four and five yards of pop. We, we, we got to get this thing just a well-oiled machine by the time SEC play hits. Yeah. I think that makes a lot of sense. And right now, if you're old Miss, it's a good problem to have. I mean, there are, you know, 130-ish Division One teams, and most of them would love to have Ole Misses if you want to call them problems. But, I mean, like, you know, the running game 
looks great right now. The defense looks great right now. And there's really nothing wrong with the passing game. They just haven't been asked to do a lot. So I think Ole Miss is in a great position right now. I think you've established the things that you want to establish. Like you said, when you get into those tough games late, especially in that last three or four weeks against Texas A&M, against Alabama, even against Mississippi State and different things like that. At some point, you know, having that in your back pocket, knowing you can run the ball is is just a huge thing. And like I said, at some point, somebody's going to force you to, to throw the ball to beat them. And that's why I think Lane is at least thinking about that right now. But I think almost any coach would rather have the situation Ole Miss has right now than the other way around. You've established your running game, get your passing game going. I think most teams would rather do that than the other way around. We talked about it a lot in the uh, in the preseason and the summer leading up to the season, and I think it's starting to to really shine through. But regardless of, of who was going to be under center before we knew, and I think we do know now, but we had said that, hey, whoever is, is going to be the quarterback, they're going to have that run game to lean on because of the talent and the, the high ceiling that these guys present as a problem for opposing defenses. And I think that that's just been to a T every weekend where they don't really need, you know, Jackson Darley threw the ball 16 times on Saturday. They, they didn't have to throw the ball. And I think that that's something that Kiffin doesn't care. Uh, he's shown that over his career as a play caller, as a head coach. He said it multiple times. His offense is going to change year to year based on who he has on his roster and the matchups he can expose. I mean, you've seen it. You know, when he was at Alabama as a play caller, when he had, you know, somebody like Kenyon Drake or Darius Stewart, um, they were finding ways to get them the football. They were creative with how they were utilized. And, you know, he did it at, at FAU. He had a pretty solid quarterback in Chris Robeson, and they, they ran the football extremely well with B.J. Emmons, and they had a really good tight end. Um, and that, you know, when he was at SC in his younger days, tons of talent. They were very balanced pro spread style offense. Um, and then you've seen it in his three years here at Ole Miss where it's, it's been, you know, okay. Year one, we had Matt Corral wasn't polished yet, but he had tons of talent and they had a dynamic slot guy in Elijah Moore and they had a really good transfer tight end in Kenny Yaboa and they were spreading the ball around like that. So I think that the, kind of that false narrative of, of Lane Kiffin, you know, he throws it all over the yard and, you know, they've had the term score from far, you know, out there. And, and I made the joke over the weekend that, you know, it's not score from far anymore. It's, it's score on the ground because that's the matchup that they're really <laughs> seeing some, uh, some positive gains from. And unless somebody can stop it, they're going to keep doing it. Yeah, and I, I think that most there's a few exceptions to this rule. You know, the the Mike Leeches, the Air Raids, you know, Cliff Kingsbury, like all those different guys. But I think most coaches, and I think Lane Kiffin, even though he's had dynamic offenses like you talked about, running the ball, if you can do it well, is just it's a lower risk proposition. Like when you're throwing the ball all around the field, stuff can happen. Yes, you can score from far, but yes, you can throw big interceptions. And you know, I think with the running game, yes, you can occasionally fumble, but generally speaking, it's a safer way to move the ball. And if you're doing it effectively and getting like against Georgia Tech, getting five yards per carry, getting six touchdowns on the ground, I mean, you can control the clock that way. You can keep your defense off the field. There's just a lot of benefits to being able to run the ball if you can do it. And so I think that most coaches if you even, like I said, ones that are known for their offense, if, if you could say, hey, do you want to have a, a, a running offense that you know works for five yards per carry? Or do you want the passing game to be, you know, super prolific with 400 yards a game? I think a lot of them would, would choose the rushing just because there's so much you can do with that as far as resting your defense and the way you can chew up grass, chew up clock. You can chew up all kinds of things. We've seen, you know, teams that can – control games with with 10 minute drives I mean those are just game changers they're deflating um I, I think you can do a lot with that so I like I said I think Ole Miss is in a a great spot right now and I think another thing too with running backs people get hurt it's it's a high turnover position it's just they take a lot of abuse back there um if if one of them goes down I think they can still do it so uh, I think again 
they're in a really good spot right now. Last thing here on Ole Miss before we we turn the page, I guess I should say offensively, and then we're going to talk defense. Um, second week in a row that I was I was really taken aback by. Um, I guess a, a a lethal combination of an uber talented player maturing, you know, kind of in in the game in sequence, and a coaching staff that for the second week in a row did a nice job of. I think uh, I'm trying to, trying to remember the term. Uh, here's the quote um, from Lane Kiffin: "Take an ass chewing and regroup." Um, Jackson Dart, bad interception um, in week two, and then a bad interception right before the half. Um, both times, Lane Kiffin, I think at the uh, at the ha- at the, I guess the halftime interview, they asked him what Jackson Dart was saying, and Lane Kiffin said he was. I was talking, he wasn't talking. Um, but as a young uh, Jackson Dart's nineteen years old, this is his second season in college. I got still growing, still evolving, learning the offense, learning how to play in a Lane Kiffin offense and playing for him. I think as an Ole Miss fan, you should be very encouraged with what he did in the third quarter. Um, did the same thing against Central Arkansas after a bad interception, came back and uh, made some really nice throws, didn't try to do too much, went through his progressions, took what the defense gave him, and really elevated the offense through the air. I think that that's something, because um, I've said it, you know, you're going to have the growing pains. He's a young player. He's very fiery. Honestly, he's a lot like Matt Corral in the way he can really drive the football down the field and he wants the big play. He's, uh, you, you know, as, um, as Steely Dan would say, he's an, he's an excitable boy. Like he wants to, he wants to get out there and, and, and make the uh, big Steely play. Dan reference. Yeah. yeah. That's pretty big. I love, I love some Steely Dan. That's we're, yeah. we're, in, the, we're in the dad rock catalog right now that's right that's that's the uh that's a good uh you know 924 tea time uh playlist right there um (laughs) but but yeah i mean i think that that's you know he's he's gonna make mistakes i mean he's he's a young quarterback he's he's wanting to to make the play and i think that you know he's wanting to prove that he's worthy and i think for the second week in a row he settled down and he made some throws in that georgia tech game that were pretty eye-popping. He had a couple, um, you know, no pun intended, darts over the middle um, in between defenders. He had uh, one to Malik Heath that really drove the football. And I've talked to some some quarterback coaches, um, some some coaches in the area, some scouts, and they all said the same thing. They said, Jackson Dart, his feet are just a little bit behind. Once he gets his feet underneath him and he, he learns how to use his lower half, he's going to be fine because when you're throwing off your back foot, I mean, you, you know, you, you cover a guy that's extremely dynamic in Kyler Murray and he can get a little sloppy with the fundamentals. Um, and, you know, when you're not set, balls tend to sail. You're a little late. You don't have enough on it. Um, but sometimes talent can help you out too. He made some, some really, really impressive throws on Saturday after he settled down and just kind of took a deep breath. And um, again, I think if you're an Ole Miss fan, that's encouraging. Yeah. And I mean, I, I think like you've talked about with arm talent, all the different things like that, Jackson Dart's going to be fine. I, I think that, and, and I, you know, you, you talked about the, the Lane Kiffin thing, being able to, to take a chewing and, and come back. I, I think one good thing about Lane Kiffin at this point, among many things that we've talked about, but he has kind of the you know, with Jackson Dart, who was obviously a big time recruit, Lane Kiffin, I think, has the the cachet, the the offensive pedigree now that uh, somebody like a Jackson Dart respects that. You know what I mean? Like you've got your big recruits. I think Lane mm-hmm. Kiffin has enough feathers in his hat that when he talks, people like Jackson Dart listen. And, mm-hmm. you know, I, I think that I'm not saying Jackson Dart might listen to anybody, but I think with with Lane Kiffin. There's a certain amount of knowledge there. There's a certain amount of experience that that kids respect that. And, yeah. and I think that kids are seeking that out now, which just bodes well, not just now for Ole Miss, but down the road and recruiting and different things like that. All right. As we let's let's turn to the defense here before we take our break. And I hate to bury the lead here because they've honestly kind of stolen the show 
outside of the run game early on in the season, but just a tremendous effort from Chris Partridge and Maurice Crum, uh, the co-DCs. They put together quite the game plan. And again, it's Georgia Tech. They're, they're not a dynamic offense by any means, but Jeff Sims was just 18 for 32, 161 yards. Um, they held Georgia Tech to just 214 total yards. They only ran for 53 yards, 1.6 per carry. It was a just a dominant, dominant effort all across the board. Um, Georgia Tech was just 6 for 18 on third downs. They were 0, and, 0 for 2 on fourth downs. Um, I, I mean, just at all three levels. I mean, they they really get after you defensively in the secondary. Um, it's almost kind of taken a page out of uh, out of Nick Saban's playbook where, you know, they, they do play a lot of zone, but when they play man, they challenge you. And they trust Miles Battle and DeAndre Prince to be on an island and to play one-on-one. And then their safeties are just extremely active, you know, across the board with, with Tysheem Johnson, Otis Reese, um, Ladarius Tennyson, Aishim Young, very the word that, that Chris Partridge uses is violence. And um, we saw that and, and then some on Saturday. Yeah. I mean, you just look at the numbers they tell, <laughs> I mean, you know, obviously watching the game, you could see the dominance with your own eyes, but you know, when you're holding a team to 1.6 yards per rush, you're turning them one dimensional and then, you know, doing what you do, like you said, being comfortable putting guys on an island. Not a lot you can do if you're Georgia Tech at that point. So, um, yeah, I, I, you know, there's not much to say other than that was a very complete. And again, we're talking that Georgia Tech's not a great team and they're they're not. I mean, that's true, but it's a power five team that you just completely, you know, wiped out as far offensively I mean they couldn't run the ball they couldn't throw the ball they couldn't do much of anything and I think anytime you do that especially on the road you know I don't think you should underestimate that there up until I guess this was before or maybe they kind of overlapped a little bit but probably one of the more one-sided P5 on P5 violence on Saturday. Now, Penn State absolutely just wrecked. Yeah, Auburn. they hammered Auburn. And we'll and we'll get to that later in the show. But I mean, like you you said it, it's a it's still a power five team. They have power five players. Right. They're I not. think Jeff Collins is a pretty good coach. I mean, you know, I know that's kind of a tougher job, but still that's it's yeah, an ACC it, team. Yeah, and a defensive-minded coach at that. And uh, Ole Miss put up 547 total yards at 31 first downs. And again, it's just you're beating teams that you're supposed to beat the way you're supposed to beat them. And if if Lane Kiffin and this staff want to get back to that echelon that they were at a year ago, you know, pushing for nine, 10 wins, being in the conversation, um, you know, maybe having a shot to compete to win the West. I still don't know if they can, but they were, you know, they finished second a year ago. Um, and we'll, and we'll get to the, the dominant team in the West later as well. But again, it's just, it's all you can ask for it now. If you're an Ole Miss fan, I mean, I tell people all the time, these types of games, you want to put it on the film, you want to have success and you don't want to get anybody hurt, you know, knock on wood. They've done that so far. They had a couple guys get dinged, but nothing serious. Kari Coleman came out, just a bit of a sprained ankle, nothing serious. Uh, Damon Clowney banged up a, a hand or a finger. They expect him to be back. Um, so, again, they're, they're just kind of really starting to, to open it up and hit their stride as they uh, take on Tulsa this week and then uh, hit SEC play uh, in two weeks against Kentucky. All right, we're going to take our first break. When we come back more with David Brandt of the Associated Press, we're going to talk uh, September firings. Is it good? Is it bad? We'll be right back. This podcast is brought to you by Lamar Yard, Oxford's indoor-outdoor restaurant, bar, and entertainment space on South Lamar. They now have an updated menu with non-barbecue options from Tex-Mex to Mississippi Delta catfish to smash burgers. And you can contact Lamar Yard for your private events for the spring and summer. They have a dedicated event coordinator who will help you plan your event from start to finish. And they offer on-site catering. From 
weddings to Greek parties or corporate events, Moriart is the perfect place to host your next party. Moriart is Oxford's quintessential family and pet-friendly venue, and they look forward to hosting you soon. Check them out at lamaryard.com. And if you want a place for clever dishes and captivating cocktails, look no further than So Wild South Lamar. Chef Erica and her committed team of food and beverage enthusiasts are bringing top-notch cuisine and libations to you six days a week. Whether it's happy hour three to six, fresh squeezed margaritas, ramen, two-for-one Moscow mules, all of that and more, the best and brightest in-house or via curbside pickup. Check them out, solaoxford.com or call them at 662-238-3500 and place your order today. Show also brought to you by Memphis restauranteur Kelly English and his restaurant group in Memphis, Tennessee. The renowned chef and his team are offering nationwide shipping and virtual cooking classes with Cooking with Kelly. You can learn more about the nationwide shipping at irisetc.com and you can also book a virtual cooking class online at table22.com slash iris. Kelly English Restaurant Group in Memphis, Second Line Restaurant Iris and the Magnolia House down on the coast in Biloxi. Show is also brought to you by Cherokee Valley Golf Course in Olive Branch, Mississippi. Get on over, see Cody Allen and the rest of the crew take on their challenge of the wide plush Zoysia fairways and large championship Bermuda greens. They've got two putting greens to hone in your game with the flat stick, the driving range, and a chipping green to tighten up that short game. Book a tee time online at olivebranchgolf.com or give them a call at 662-893-4444. And we are back here on Daytime Fireworks with Mr. David Brent of the AP. All right, David. So we've got some uh, some heads rolling early this year. Um, guys trying to get out ahead of the uh, coaching search season. We had Scott Frost lose his job a week ago. And now you've got uh, one Herm Edwards out at Arizona State. Uh, we already talked about Penn State's just absolute beatdown of Auburn. On the Plains, the seat is incredibly hot for Brian Harson at Auburn, but he hasn't been fired yet. So let's focus on Scott Frost, Herm Edwards, and just the, the overall theme of this segment here. I am, I don't think, I, and it, I think it's, I, I think it's dumb. I'll just say that. The, the, no, no SAT words needed. I, I just think it's stupid. It's, it's it's something to me where if you're firing someone two three weeks into the season they should have been fired in January or February. That's exactly um, what I was going to say. Like okay. it's it's very stupid to fire somebody in September, but if if you're at that point, you've made a bunch of stupid decisions already. You know what I mean? Yeah. Like if yeah. if you if you, if somebody's job status is so tenuous that basically one loss early in the season, you know, a bad loss ends the tenure, then that's something you should have done before. I mean, like, you know, with Scott Frost and with Herm Edwards, you could see both of those coming from a mile away. I mean, yes, mm -hmm. I know for Nebraska fans, it was frustrating that Scott Frost lost a lot of those games. They were close. They were competitive. You know, it wasn't like Nebraska was getting blown out, but still you knew the chances of Scott Frost, like pulling out of that hole were almost nothing. And so, yeah. I mean, if, if you know that, if it's really that tenuous, then you probably should have made the decision in the, in fact, not even probably you should have, like, if, if you're one loss away, then, you know, what are we doing here? Um, yeah. So I, I think that sometimes you have like within both the case of Scott Frost and Herm Edwards, I'm actually okay with the decision to fire them because I don't think you should continue to make bad decisions. You know what I mean? Like throw good money after bad, like mm -hmm. they needed to be fired. You got to do it, but it should have been done a long time ago. If you're firing a coach in September, you have screwed up many times before that to get to that point. And so I'm not necessarily against firing coaches in September. Cause again, I don't think you should make a bad decision worse, but I also think that when you're doing that, you've really screwed up in the first place. <laughs> and, and you know, that, that never to me with healthy programs, that just shouldn't happen. Yeah. And you mentioned, you know, loot, you know, bad losses or losing to an inferior opponent. Both of those had that happen. Um, Scott Frost in Nebraska loses to Georgia Southern, gives up, I can't. Seven million it, yards. Yeah, I think it was over 600. Um, 
but yeah, I mean, where was had he? Where was the proof that he was going to turn it around? He right, and, and and if they squeak it out over Georgia Southern, is that program really in a yeah, better you, place than it was before? Yeah, do you really feel better? I mean, it, it's it's crazy. I mean, he he was four and eight in year one, five and seven in year two, three and five in the COVID year, and then three and nine last year. So, and then you look at how they played against Oklahoma over the weekend, looked the, like the exact same team. And, you know, I, I don't understand. And in Nebraska's case specifically, you could have waited two more weeks and saved your program and your university seven and a half million dollars. No, that's a wild one. I, so I'm that, surprised. So that by right that. there is just, that's just, you know, double stupid. Well, and I think, I mean, there's a there's a sense when you fire a coach that you've basically, especially in September, I, I, that's tough on the athletes, man. You know, you got seniors that have invested in that program and basically you're already just punting on the season. Mm-hmm. And so I, I really, like, I, I understand why teams do it and why you don't want to, you know, throw good money after bad, but especially the Scott Frost case with the money scenario, you know, Arizona State's case is different because there's, NCAA allegations in there too, you know, with hosting recruits over. And that's a lot of people in in Phoenix here were stunned that Herm kept his job over the summer, basically for that. Um, yeah. More so than really, because, you know, it wasn't just that the team had played okay last year. They were kind of up and down and underachieved a little bit, but, you know, Jaden Daniels left for LSU and he wasn't the only person that left, you know, everybody could see the writing on the wall. The roster now doesn't have very much talent. I mean, you know, they're, they're, they just delayed it a year here of the rebuild that they were going to have to have no matter what, essentially. And so it's really, you know, tough situation in Arizona state right now. Um, yeah, they're 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 in a tough spot. And you mentioned the the NCAA investigation, and you know, the, I, I think my my ten month old might have more teeth than the NCAA does right now. But um, still, I mean that that was your easy out. I mean, right? Okay, exactly. So, that was you so didn't have coach, to do this. <laughs> that was, yeah, you didn't have to keep him. And, so, you know, the, the argument was Herm Edwards, you know, like, oh, he didn't know about it. It was all, I think, Antonio oh, yeah. Pierce. Is what, it's like, I mean, if, if Herm... That's even worse. Right. Herm is, is a CEO-type coach. I mean, he's not involved in the nitty-gritty like some of them. And we knew that going in. But if you're Herm Edwards and you didn't know about it, you should have. And it's still your yeah. program. It's still... And like you said, the NCAA doesn't have a lot of teeth right now. Um, but that's one of the few things that I think most people still agree that was kind of wrong, like hosting recruits during the go- the COVID dead period. You know what I mean? Yeah. We're not talking about loner cars. We're not talking about sleeping on a couch or a ride, you know, from an FCA guy, you know, from Memphis to Oxford and stuff like that. We're talking about like a, a pandemic and the fact that like you broke rules during a pandemic that were you know, now knowing what we know now, I mean, maybe some of the rules were silly, but still at the time, like those were the rules. And I I think everybody was playing by them and trying to do right. And for Arizona state to just kind of blatantly go against that. I think that's one area where the NCAA still might have a little bit of teeth. Yeah, that was Arizona state should have just gone ahead. And I mean, come on, like your, your staff, they're deliberately breaking rules when it's i mean i don't know, it, during the covid year during off season still covid lingering everything is watched very closely i mean right. it not just, to mention it showed a lack of judgment on many levels yeah and, I, I mean and, I, and again you'll 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 put up with it if you're going 11 and 1 and winning the pac 12 every year but arizona state wasn't doing that i mean they right. were they were a 7 win 8 win team yeah they were competitive they were okay. I think Herm exceeded expectations to some degree, especially early in his tenure here. Cause I'll be honest when he was hired, I was still in Mississippi at the time, but I thought that was a terrible hire. Um, but it ended up being actually kind of worked for a few years until obviously, you know, the wheels fell off with the recruiting violations and everything, but you know, I, I just, they, they didn't need to do it. I just keep coming back to that. This didn't have to happen. And you're essentially like wasting a football season because you didn't have the stones to just part ways with Herm when you should have parted ways with Herm. 
yeah, I, I'm with you. I, I thought it was it was a head scratcher when they hired him. I mean, this is a guy that prior to arriving in Tempe, his last time in college football was in 1989. Right. So I, he doesn't – he's never handled recruiting with social media. He's never handled, you know, the transfer portal or just the new age of, you know, NIL was in its infancy last year and, and all that. But not to mention – you think that you're just going to sneak some recruits on campus when, oh, by the way, you still have to, you know, deal with COVID protocols and you're being closely monitored for that already. How in the world do you think you're just going to skate by with, hey, we're going to we're, we're going to bring in like 14 guys uh, and right. just have and, them on campus? Like, come on. And I don't know if you've ever been at Arizona State, but this isn't like you know, Manhattan, Kansas, or something like that. Like it's in the middle of Phoenix. Like there are, there are 5 million people here. It's in Tempe. It's right outside of Phoenix, right by the airport. There's tons of people around, even during a pandemic. I mean, there was no way that you weren't going to get caught. It just, again, it shows a lack of judgment on several levels. Um, so speaking of judgment, I don't know if you even remotely thought of this but in terms of who nebraska and arizona state should go after um i've got some thoughts on both but who do you uh who are some names that either you're hearing or who are some names that you think would work at either one of those spots well i'm not as plugged in as as you are these days so i'd like to hear yours i mean you know a lot of mine i go back to to names i knew and and people i i'm kind of I just think at some point somebody's going to take the Hugh Freeze plunge. I don't know if Nebraska or Arizona State is one of those places, but uh, I do think, and you know, they would people here would free, but I think Hugh Freeze would be really good at Arizona State. I I think that would actually be a pretty good fit. Um, yeah, but I I mean I don't think it's going to happen. Like you know, read, yeah, it's just not going to happen. But you know, especially. Arizona State is in some NCAA trouble. And of course, Hugh Freeze has the background that he has. Um, and so I don't know. I mean, that Kansas coach, how do you say his last name? Leipold? Leipold? I want to say it's Lance Leipold. Leipold. I think that's right. But anyway, he's going to be a hot commodity. He's, you know, when you turn around Kansas and, and it makes a lot of sense at Nebraska just because it's right there. Yeah. Um, you know, and so. Yeah, I don't, I mean, I'm not as plugged into the 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 coaching as the wheel turns. You convinced me on Lane Kiffin. I'm sure you could convince me on somebody else at this point for other programs. I, I don't think, if you're in Nebraska, I don't think you need to go much farther than, than Lance Leipold. I mean, what else does he have to prove? Um, he won, I think, six titles at Wisconsin Whitewater. I believe that's where he was. Um, and then... I, uh, what else? I mean, he took Buffalo to a top twenty-five. Yeah, that's um, true. I mean, season. That was, yeah, I'm, I mean, come on. Uh, yeah, six Division three titles um, when he was at Whitewater, and then Buffalo. He went ten and four in twenty eighteen, and then six and one during the COVID year, and then sandwiched between that, he went eight and five. Um, now Kansas, they go two and ten. Now they beat Texas last year, and then now they're three and zero. Oh. And yeah, they got uh, Houston receivers fighting on the sidelines. They're dominating so <laughs> yeah. much. I mean, I, you know, it's just the, that's an impressive turnaround. I think with Leipold, like just with his body of work, I think the good thing about him is your, your floor would be pretty low. I think there's a very big chance that Leipold at least improves the Nebraska program. You know what I mean? Like, does he have that top end where he can go, you know, 12 and one and go to Fiesta bowls and different things mm -hmm. like that? I don't know, but I, I do think he can make that program respectable again. I, Nebraska to me has an Auburn problem when it comes to, they just can't get out of there. They just can't get out of the way. Right. The, the boosters just, they, they, they want to, sit in the golf cart on the sidelines at the, at the IPF, or they want to be on the sideline during practice. And they, 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 they want to feel like they are embedded in making decisions that, you know, are going to influence what happens on Saturdays. And I think if you hire somebody like Lance Leipold, you make the hire, you do the press conference, and then you just leave him the hell alone. You let him 
build his program. Okay, maybe he's not going to go eight and four in year one, but you trust him and you, you've seen the, the proof in what he's done at the D3 level, what he's done at Buffalo, and then now what he's doing at Kansas. You just, hey, here you go. Here are the keys to the building. We'll see you in a couple of years. Like, just, just let him do his thing and just stay out of it. Um, as far as Arizona State goes, I mean, I think there are some, some names that are somewhat West Coast, West Coast adjacent that I think make a lot of sense. Um, I mean, just go up, you know, not up the road, but just up the coast and a little bit towards Canada. You just go up to Corvallis and talk to Jonathan Smith. Um, done a nice job. Um, went two and ten at one point. Now they're three and zero. Oh. Um, he knows the West Coast. I think hard to argue that you can recruit a little bit better to Arizona State than you can to Oregon State. It's um, true. Closer to California, Arizona State has a knack for getting players. Tempe, Tempe is not a great place to hide cheating, but it is a good place to bring recruits. <laughs> It, That's right. which, it, it, it which, has its perks, but hiding people is not a great. Yeah. Which speaking of that, that might not bode well for Hugh Freeze if they go that route, but exactly. Well, that's what it, now I'm looking <laughs> at names, you know, and stuff like that. Um, I've seen Kalani Sataki's name thrown around, but I don't think he's leaving BYU. Um, he's yeah, BYU's not a bad job. No. And I mean, he's, he's one of theirs. Um, They're about to join big 12. I mean, it's true. He, he's he's 23 and five the past three years. Now they did get walloped by Oregon over the weekend, but um, they just beat a really good Baylor team. Uh, I don't think he would venture out. Um, another name people have mentioned, and I, I don't hate it. Um, Charles Huff, the head coach at Marshall. Um, he's got ties to the NFL. He's coached at Alabama, Penn State. Um, and then obviously they beat Notre Dame a couple of weeks ago. Um, he's a young guy, he's only 39. And I think that, um, he could maybe, uh, do some things. And if you want to, you know, kind of an outside the box sitting head coach, um, Sean Lewis at Kent state, only 36. Um, when he took over Kent state, they were one of the worst Mac programs. Um, I think they had six straight losing seasons. Um, and then now, I, I mean, he's, you know, respectable, um, as you can get, at Kent State, but um, if you want to go that young route of a guy that's an offensive mind, can, uh, you know, be energetic, you know, really put an influx of energy into a program, I don't think that uh, that's a terrible way to go there. Um, yeah, and you know how programs go. They always go, not always, but I, I've noticed a trend over the years in all the programs I've covered, whenever something doesn't work out, they take that personality that didn't work out and go 180 from that personality. So mm -hmm. like, you know, you've got Ed Orgeron and then you go, who, who is obviously like a cutting edge higher, younger at the time, different things like that, unproven, but has a high ceiling. It doesn't work out. So what do you do? You go with the safe bet with mm -hmm. Houston Nutt. And then, you know, Houston Nutt doesn't work out the safe bet. So what do you do? Another up and coming coach, Hugh Freeze. And then, you know, Hugh Freeze doesn't work out. What do you do? Oh, safe bet. At least Matt Luke will be a good, you know, like caretaker of the program. And yeah. so I, it feels like Arizona State, after going with the veteran coach, the proven NFL mind, it feels like they're going to go younger. Like you talked about guys in their late 30s, early 40s, energy, that sort of thing. I just, it, I just in my years of covering college football, teams seem to like to go the opposite way. And so I think those names you're throwing out of guys that are around, you know, 40, I, I think that's going to be pretty attractive to the people making the hire at, at Arizona state. One final name before we uh, hit the break and do our last segment older, but ties to the West coast um, had a previous stop at Arizona state for one year and then was in the PAC 12 for a long time. And then uh, two titles in the OVC, won a MAC title, and then has a flash at his current job, Dino Babers at Syracuse. Yeah. Um, won 10 games there um, back in 2018, and then has been decent in the ACC. Um, the 3-0 and this year. Um, but, I mean, this is a guy, he's 61. He's originally from Hawaii, played Hawaii. Um, 
he was a GA at Arizona State, and then he was at um, Purdue, San Diego State, Arizona, briefly at A&M, Pitt, UCLA, Baylor, and then started getting head coaching jobs. On the older side, but a guy that has been there, done that, could maybe stabilize, build something, be an actual CEO that Herm Edwards was not able to do. Um, don't know if he's willing to leave Syracuse. I have no clue, but a West Coast guy that has a proven track record, so maybe they uh, they look to Dino. All right, going to take our final break and come back, talk a little bit, uh, a little bit of a whip around the SEC West, kind of uh, get David's thoughts on uh, where things stand heading into Week Four. So hang tight. We'll be right back. Podcast brought to you by Protection Unlimited Incorporated, the Mid-South's leader in commercial and residential alarm security. Wayne Lowry and his team have been serving the greater Memphis area and North Mississippi for 50 plus years and would love to get your business and or family protected today. They offer cutting edge security for your home or business with video surveillance options and they're monitoring 24 7 365. You can reach them via phone at 901-754-6510 or email them at info at protectionunlimited.com. Podcast also comes to you thanks to Bluff City Advisory Group, Memphis's leading team of finance professionals. They can provide advanced assistance with financial planning, pension and qualified plan support, and business and estate planning strategies. Former Ole Miss Rebel and founding partner Ben Still, along with his elite level customer service team, make it their goal to help you meet the ongoing demands of your financial needs. Learn more about them at bluffcityadvisory.com. Podcast brought to you by the Barry Home Team. You're ready to sell and make the most net profit from your home. Call Stacy and Rick Barry today. They will lead you through the process from property assessment, repairs, staging, and putting that sold sign in your yard. Both have earned the multi-million dollar club member status, and they would love to assist you today in your real estate ventures. Call them 901-481-6420 or 901-461-6421. After you have talked to the Barry Home Team, you can talk to Saddle Creek Title, another proud sponsor of the show. They're the Mid-South's leader in client-focused, innovative closing solutions. Neil Hanna and his team are more than just a real estate closing firm. They are dedicated to going the distance to ensure the ease and growth of your real estate business. Find more information at SaddleCreekTitle.com or call them 901-753-1600. Show brought to you by Davis McCord State Farm. If you're looking for good neighbor service and surprisingly great insurance rates, look no further than Davis and his team. They are your one-stop shop in Alabama, Arkansas, Tennessee, and Mississippi for the service you deserve at the price you want. So stop looking around. Give Davis a call. He is ready to help. 901-755-6110 and get your surprisingly great rates today. Like a good neighbor, State Farm is there. And we're back here for the last segment on daytime fireworks. We're going to briefly touch on the SEC West. All right. I I wanted to get your thoughts on where things stand as we've had some conference games. Um, Ole Miss is not there yet, but just kind of the, I guess, where things are, the powers that be um, in the West, starting at the top, Alabama, 3-0, had a, you know, I would say you could brand it a hiccup against Texas. They didn't blow them out, but just they don't look offensively as typically powerful as they've been in recent years. Um, Bryce Young is still Bryce Young, um, but they really don't have that bell cow running back that they normally have. Um, now, Jameer Gibbs is very good, and uh, McClellan is good as well, but. Um, to me, offensively, and, and it's only through three games, so far be it for me to doubt that they'll figure it out, but don't have that day one NFL draft guy at receiver like they've had in the past couple of years, and I think that showed a little bit against Texas. Do you think there are any chinks in the armor in Tuscaloosa at all, or do you think that we're overthinking it here? I mean, I think that Alabama has set such a ridiculously high standard that you know, we just judge them by a different standard than everybody else. And I think that for Alabama, and again, it's all relative, they look slightly more mortal than usual. Um, They're always good. They're good this year. They may figure it out and start steamrolling people. But right now, I've just, I feel like I've seen slightly more talented Alabama teams. They're still really good. 
they still very well may win a national championship, but it just feels like this team is a little more beatable than some of them I've seen over the past, you know, 10 years or so. Two teams that have far more question marks than uh, Nick Saban's bunch, Auburn and Texas A&M. A&M got back into the win column in an ugly, ugly game that I think if Miami could do a lot of things over, that end result might have been different. But they beat Miami at home. Them and Auburn are two of the more interesting teams to me because I, I do think that despite sitting at two and one still don't if 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 they're setting up shop you know on the side of the road i'm probably not buying a lot yeah i agree i mean especially with auburn always especially with another bad loss or two you have the danger of you know brian harson getting fired and then the wheels come off and then who knows uh texas a&m at some point you know, I, I think they're good. They're talented, but you know, Jimbo's not going anywhere, but it, is that team, is it what it is at this point? Are they going to be able to not win any other way than ugly? And that just doesn't bode well for, for down the line, but yeah, Auburn to me is the one that really could go off the rails. I, I think it could also normalize a little bit too, but yeah, that's the one that, that has the kind of blow up potential. The other ones in the West, uh, Arkansas flirted with disaster over the weekend with a uh, familiar Bobby face. Bobby Petrino had a had a shot. They uh, oh, absolutely. They, uh, I gotta I gotta admit there was a little <laughs> bit. I I grew up in Springfield, Missouri. I don't know if you knew that, which is where Missouri State is. Yeah, yeah. And uh, you know, all my high school friends went there. I grew up like ten minutes. I used to play like touch football on their like astroturf stadium back in the eighties and nineties. That was back when they had the AstroTurf that was like, you know, the stuff that was like concrete. It was, was like a putt. Say, you might as well it was like, in a parking lot. Yes, it was like a putt-putt course. It was like a light. It was like concrete with a light carpet over it. I, I remember going out there the first time when I was like 14 years old to be like, how does anyone actually play on this? Um, I actually they, had one, one time I played on that was uh, we played the state championship game at uh, Johnny Red Floyd Stadium in Murfreesboro. And it was in December, so it was even harder because of just how cold it was. Sure. And, I mean, you know, there was – it was really cold, so there was just a little bit of frost on the on the turf as well. So being a, being a young sophomore and being on the, the kickoff team, it was, uh, you know, flying down there and trying to make a tackle. And then when you hit the turf, I mean, you would slide, you know, eight to ten feet. Um, but it hurt. It was not fun. Right. I mean, you used to see those pictures of guys back in the 80s and 90s that used to have those like rubber sleeves on their elbows and stuff like that, like receivers. And I'd be like, why do they wear those? I understand why. why they wear those. Now. Yeah. <laughs> that was that was crazy. But anyway, I got off talk of it. But Missouri State for years and years has been in the Missouri Valley Conference, and they've always been, you know, kind of a mediocre team next to the northern Iowa's next to you know, now North Dakota State, you know, which steamrolls people, won like nine out of the last 11 national championships. So to see, you know, to get Bobby Petrino, I know you kind of had to like, you know, turn a blind eye to some stuff, but that was a pretty big hire at Missouri State. That, that was pretty interesting for a little bit. Yeah, it was. And, and hey, put a, put a pin in that. I mean, Missouri State might, uh, might make some noise in the, uh, the NCAA tournament here. Um, down the road. I mean, still they're, they're two and one on the year. They were eight and four a year ago, um, made it into the first round. Uh, they finished the year ranked 14th. So they, Bobby uh, they Petrino might. has some issues, but he can coach football. That, that, that is correct. Um, I still think Arkansas is a good team. Um, they're going to get a shot this weekend to prove just how good they are against A&M, even though A&M has their struggles, still a very talented bunch. Um, Last two here, these these two faced off over the weekend, LSU and Arkansas. I, still, I mean, the theme of this segment is, is question marks. LSU figured it out quickly enough to win at home against Mississippi State, which in my opinion is just the same team they were last year. They just don't have Charles Cross on the left side to protect Will Rogers. And when you have athletes that can cover in space and can get after the quarterback with three or four, it's typically – 
a recipe for success against the air raid and Mike Leach and them ran into that on Saturday. So is, is Brian Kelly going to figure it out? Is, is Jane Daniels the answer there? And, and what do you, how do you see the LSU and Mississippi state season uh, unfolding for each as the, uh, the weeks go by? Well, the West is interesting in general too. And, and just LSU and, and Mississippi state kind of personify this. Like I, I think both those teams are going to cause issues for certain opponents. You know what I mean? I, I don't, there's very few teams in the West. Like I said, maybe the wheels fall off with Auburn, but maybe not as well. Like, I just don't see many dumpster fires there. You know what I mean? I also don't see a lot of elite teams. So, I mean, to me that, you know, it, it bodes for a lot of teams, you know, like LSU or Mississippi state are going to be kind of difficult to handle. They're going to go, you know, three and five in the league and they're going to jump up and, and knock off somebody they shouldn't. And then they'll probably lose to somebody that you thought they were going to beat. Um, I, I just see a lot of that in this division. I don't, you know, I think Alabama's really good, but I also think they have the potential that they're not as unbeatable as usual. Arkansas, we saw, even though that's a pretty good football team, you know, Missouri state hung right with them and forced them to, you know, into the fourth quarter. I mean, that doesn't, you know, that doesn't look like a super dominant team. So I, I just think the West, it's going to be one of those years where maybe six and two in the West wins it. You know, there's two or three teams that tie for that. So I, I it, it could be a really interesting year just as far as, as the race. Because a lot of times with the West, you know, Alabama hasn't clinched by what, like October 8th, half the time. Yeah. Uh, but I, I just don't think that's going to be the case this time around. Yeah, it'll it'll be interesting. I think, um, you know, kind of bringing it back to Ole Miss before we close. I, more times than not, the recipe against a Nick Saban defense is a quarterback that can stretch the field and a run game that can keep you honest. And we've seen Ole Miss do that. They have three well, backs it, that can absolutely. really get after it and a quarterback that can throw it. If you're Ole Miss, like, and this is what teams always say, and I think it's one of the actual truisms, you want to be playing meaningful games in late October and November. And Ole Miss has set themselves up to do that very well. The schedule, you know, works out for them pretty well as far as that goes. Got a big game, of course, against Kentucky in a couple of weeks. But then after that, you got Vanderbilt, Auburn, LSU. You really kind of ramp up into that really hard stretch of Texas A&M, Alabama, Arkansas. And right now it feels like unless something really changes and, the you know, the bottom falls out, I think Ole Miss is going to get to that spot in pretty good shape, maybe with one loss. But you're going to be playing really meaningful games around Halloween, around Thanksgiving. And I think if you're old Miss or really pretty much anybody in the country, that's all you could really ask for. Yeah. I, and, and that's not, I don't think that's what you're saying. And it's definitely not what I'm saying. I don't think we're hinting that Ole Miss can beat Alabama, but no, I'm just, no, I mean, they could like anything could happen. Old Miss has beaten Alabama before, but you just want to give that yourself a shot to make that game worth something other than pride. And, yeah, and sure. I think that Ole Miss is on track to do that. And they, they'll give themselves, they got Alabama at home. Again, there's so many games in between now and then. But yeah, I mean, I, I think you, at least at this point, we're getting close to October and you're setting yourself up for a really nice season. Yeah, absolutely. There's certainly going to be some meaningful games coming up in uh, two weeks against Kentucky, like you said, and then uh, conference play hits. And um, yeah, it, as you as you know, they remember in November. They remember in November, David. That's, That's Houston right. Nut. That was one of the many things. <laughs> they remember right. in November. Well, again, fun as always. Um, pleasure doing this with you every week. We'll be back next week recapping week four. And uh, Ole Miss will be looking to start conference play. But uh, that's going to do it for this edition of Daytime Fireworks. Thanks for tuning in. Thanks to the sponsors that make the show possible. And as always, thank you to Mr. Brent. David, we will uh, we will reconvene same time next week, buddy. Appreciate it. Absolutely. More football talk. That is correct. Uh, and if you want more football talk, head on over to the Ole Miss Spirit, part of On3. We've got tons and tons and tons of stuff as we look towards Tulsa this weekend and uh, continue to look ahead to the SEC slate starting. So with that, 
We will close up shop here on Tuesday and we will get back to you next week. Until then, we out. BetMGM has an unreal deal for sports fans in Maryland. Turn $5 into $150 instantly when you place your first wager at BetMGM. Simply download the BetMGM app and sign up using code OLDLINE150. Then, place a $5 wager on any sport. You'll receive $150 in bonus bets, regardless of your wager's outcome. And if you think the fun stops there, the king of sportsbooks has plenty of surprises in store. Check out daily promotions, same game parlays, live bets, and so much more. Download the app in Maryland today and get $150 in bonus bets instantly from your first wager only at BetMGM. BetMGM and GameSense remind you to play responsibly. See BetMGM.com for terms. 21 plus only. Maryland only. New customer offer subject to eligibility requirements. Rewards are non-withdrawable bonus bets that expire in seven days from issuance. Please play responsibly. For help, visit mdgamblinghelp.org or call 1-800-GAMBLER in partnership with MGM National Harbor. Promotional not available in Washington, D.C. Say goodbye to your credit card rewards. Greedy corporate mega stores, led by Walmart and Target are pushing for a law in Congress to take away your hard-earned cash back and travel points to line their pockets. The Durbin Marshall credit card bill would enact harmful credit card routing mandates that would end credit card rewards as we know it. If you love your credit card rewards, tell your lawmakers, hands off my rewards. Tell them to oppose the Durbin Marshall credit card bill.